gets a breakaway. We'll be walking out of here as a national champ. I expect nothing less. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Dobbs heaves it. They're bunched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Saturday night in Death Valley. GASN Sports presents the Saturday Supremacy Podcast. Celebrating the passion, traditions, and pageantry surrounding college football Saturdays. Featuring weekly guests and hard-hitting analysis. And now, please welcome your hosts, Noah Groninger and Clint Schweitzer. Welcome once again to the Saturday Supremacy Podcast. Clint Schweitzer and Noah Groninger joining you once again. And I'll tell you what, Noah, week two of the college football season is now behind us. It was a busy weekend for us. We were down covering the Missouri-West Virginia bloodbath. But a lot of talking points and a lot of storylines coming out of week two. And I'll tell you what, it feels like this thing is really ramping up to be a special season in college football. Um, there's already so much that we can take. We looked, we saw a top 10 SEC Big 12 matchup from the weekend. We're going to get more into that. But Noah, it's another big weekend. A couple big guests here on this show because the Saturday Supremacy Podcast is the number one college football podcast um, out there going today, man. And that's because of the guests that we bring on, um, the hard-hitting analysis. That's what we do, Noah. And it's a big weekend that we we're just coming off of in college football. What a time we had down in Columbia covering Missouri and West Virginia. Seeing Missouri get that big win. And they much needed that, my friend. It definitely was after that week one kind of self-inflicted wounds there by the Missouri Tigers uh, against those Wyoming Cowboys. Uh, they came up short, but they get back on track against the West Virginia Mountaineers. They crushed them into the dirt, into the ground. And they have gotten back on track. Barry Odom's kind of getting things, the ship righted here, it looks like. They're playing well. Uh, you didn't see those big mistakes from them against West Virginia. But we move to kind of the rest of what happened in week two. We see Michigan almost lose to Army. We see Nebraska collapse and give the game away against Colorado. We see Tennessee lose yet again to BYU. There's a lot going on. Texas A&M with a, kind of a big loss to Clemson. We thought they might be able to keep it close. They didn't. Clemson is just rolling right along there in Death Valley. And so there's a lot happening as we move here into week three. Well, we're going to get into a lot of it with um, our guests this week. We're going to be talking some Arkansas football with none other than former All-SEC quarterback uh, Tyler Wilson is going to be joining us to talk about his time playing with uh, Bobby Petrino, uh, getting drafted in that 2013 draft class that included guys like E.J. Manuel, Geno Smith, Matt Barkley, and kind of the state of the Razorbacks today. What is going on down there? I mentioned last week that Arkansas really needed to win this game against Ole Miss to have any semblance of a possibility of a, of a salvaging a season. And they, they, you know, it was 31-17. They needed a strip fumble touchdown to even really stay in that game. We're going to talk about that. Um, obviously, a lot of Arkansas fans are unhappy with Chad Morris, the things that have been going on. You know, playing uh, the quarterback Ben Hicks instead of Nick Starkle, the mm -hmm. uh, transfer from Texas A&M. So yeah. we're, we're going to get Tyler Wilson's thoughts on that. He is a legend, uh, 29 school records at Arkansas. Uh, so, you know, we're going to talk to him kind of about what he's up to today. Uh, why his NFL career uh, was so short. Just a great guy, great guest uh, to be having on. So, And we're also going to be talking with none other than CBS Sports' is Carter Blackburn, who's going to be calling the Texas and Rice game coming up. So obviously, he's been doing his homework on Texas, looking at that big uh, win for LSU over Texas in Austin uh, a week ago. That was a, the game of the week, of course. And 
almost 900 yards passing between Joe Burrow and Sam Ellinger. It was just a show. Uh, all eyes were on it. We saw Matthew McConaughey's reaction. He was there, uh, kind of dropping an F-bomb towards the end of the game. But oh, no, a, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> what a performance it was. Joe Burrow, we talked about it last week and how this air raid offense and this quarterback added such an element to LSU. And I think that's an important thing to watch going forward. I was so impressed with Joe Burrow on the national stage, on the road, at Texas, a hostile environment. LSU gets a win there. Does this change things for LSU's fortunes going forward? I know we had a chance to talk to Carter Blackburn about it, and we'll bring that up a little later. What says you? LSU, is it time to start mentioning them alongside uh, Alabama there in the SEC West? I think it is. I mean, this is something that LSU fans have been longing for down there in Baton Rouge. I mean, just looking at their quarterbacks in the past and now that they have Joe Burrow, this open style kind of air raid offense almost, which is crazy to say for an LSU team. They're run the ball, play defense, three yards in a cloud of dust, and we're just going to dominate you on the defensive end, win the game nine to three. No, this is Joe Burrow's team. He's got so much confidence, so much bravado out there. He is just leading his team out there. I could not believe some of the throws he's been making. We caught up with him at SEC Media Days, a great kid off the field, just an unbelievable player on the field. Ed Ogeron, this is kind of what he needed and what they need to challenge Alabama in the SEC West and to try and make it to the playoff. I think they are right there with Alabama. I still probably would pick the, the genius mind of Nick Saban to come up with a way to win that game, but Joe Burrow gives them a fighting chance. No question about it. I was so impressed with the athletes, as I always am with LSU. But I'm impressed with Texas as well. I think this changes their fortune. They're a team that proved a lot to me, and Sam Ellinger uh, and Jalen Hurts, those two quarterbacks in the Big 12, that's going to be something to watch out for. And I'm impressed. with. I think it's a coin toss at this point. Texas or OU, one of those two teams, uh, certainly, almost assuredly, will sit atop the Big 12 at season's end. But we talked about Missouri's win over West Virginia earlier. And we were able to catch up with uh, Barry Odom after the game. Um, although, let me just tell you this. On a side note, Missouri has unveiled its new south end zone uh, structure. And it is unbelievable. So much so, Noah, that we had trouble finding the press room <laughs> to do this interview at the end of the game. So There are a few twists and turns there that uh, we may have taken uh, the wrong fork in the road. We wound up in the massive weight room, which is Tim Tebow called the best in the country over the weekend on SEC Nation. And we were in, involved in that. Then all of a sudden, uh, after a few, you know, twists and turns and up some flights of stairs, we finally made it into Barry Odom's press conference. So we're going to bring you some some quotes about that and what this Missouri team can be going forward. I'm proud of our, our team and proud of our staff and, and everybody that's part of the organization on the way that we bounced back after last Saturday. Uh, there's a fine line of winning, and winning is hard. Um, you look at the things that our staff did on from the moment the game was over Saturday night and the things that we continue to do this week and then our kids went and executed uh, for the most part at a pretty high level. Um, I've talked over and over uh, that anyone would listen inside of our walls that we're not going to be defined by one game just like we're not defined by this game. Um, we're defined by how we respond from every opportunity that we get. And then ultimately, I'm in this business to, to continue to develop character of our student athletes. And an opportunity for us presented itself last week on to continue to pour into and develop and show character. And I thought our team handled it uh, the way I needed them to. They were on a mission and uh, 
their practice habits uh, aligned with the way that we played this afternoon. So, but our staff, credit to them, they did a heck of a job putting together a game plan to give our kids a chance, and then our kids went out and executed and made plays. And um, you walk out of the game and you're plus three in the turnover margin, that's always going to be good for us. So like last week, we were the opposite. We were minus three. It's a fine line of winning and losing, and uh, for us to, to have success, we've got to continue to prepare and habits throughout the week we're going to show up and get exposed on Saturday, and is that going to be good or bad? Um, I'm proud of them, and uh, now it's an opportunity uh, to put this one behind us and get our focus on Southeast Missouri State. There you have it from Barry Odom, um, a guy that has a quiet confidence about him, even though that his team had just lost a crushing game to Wyoming the week before. He had to be really pleased with every facet of that game. Uh, the Tigers forced three turnovers. Kelly Bryant was efficient, 150 yards, three touchdowns. He came out um, in the third quarter uh, with some kind of battling some heat exhaustion there. So uh, Kelly didn't need to take any more hits out there. The escapability, the athleticism, that's really what was on display to me. And the return of Larry Roundtree, who was almost a non-factor. In fact, he fumbled a key uh, going into the end zone against Wyoming. In this game, he returns with 99 yards and a touchdown. Good to see Missouri's running game get back at it. But a team that we're certainly not as high on coming off of week two and one that deserves mention as they made uh, my biggest losers of the week on my article this week, biggest winners and losers on GASNsports.com, the Tennessee Volunteers who could not lose to BYU and they lost to BYU. Absolutely. I mean, you look at this game, it looked like they had it in hand. They were going to just, they were going to get back on track like Missouri did against West Virginia. Tennessee was going to get back on track against BYU, but no, they couldn't do it at the end of the game. They gave up just this huge drive. Uh, the cornerback for Tennessee, number two, Alante Taylor, just got lost, just turned around. Like I've never seen such a play from a cornerback just losing the receiver, almost like the, the receiver just vanished from one spot, appeared in another, and the corner was just lost. And he gave up another play that uh, right after that that uh, ended up being a touchdown. And I couldn't believe it, but Tennessee found a way to lose this game, lose again, and Jeremy Pruitt, I mean, is this the end for him? Not right now, but this season, is this the end for him? Are they going to have to restart again? Well, we've already seen that the Tennessee administration will cave under social media pressure and outrage. They already did that earlier uh, last year um, when they tried to hire Greg Schiano, and basically the Tennessee volunteer fans took to social media and message boards and blocked it from happening. There is an outrage going on right now. This fan base is unsatisfied. They have not been anything of significance in almost 20 years. Obviously, they're a program steeped in history and tradition, and they believe that, you know, with a stadium over 100,000 seats, with an alumni base like they have, that they should be up there with the Alabamas of the world. And maybe they have an argument. They're second in the SEC historically in SEC championship victories, um, just below Alabama. So Tennessee might have an argument there, but we're going to talk to Carter Blackburn about this. Can they keep starting over? Can you afford to keep rolling through Derek Dooley's, Lane Kiffin's, uh, Butch Jones, and do this again with Jeremy Pruitt? I don't know, but what you're seeing out there is not going to get it done. We know that. So we're going to talk to Carter Blackburn about that coming up here, along with uh, many other topics. And it is our pleasure to go ahead and welcome our guest from CBS Sports. It is Carter Blackburn. Carter, welcome to the show. How's everything going, man? 
Hey, awesome. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Well, uh, just to start things off here, I mean, uh, Syracuse, talking about them, they came into the season ranked. They routed Liberty, but they came back and they got the doors blown off them by Maryland, 63-20. to uh, Looking at this Maryland team, now ranked 21st, is that kind of one of the big surprises thus far after two weeks? Oh, absolutely. I thought, I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Syracuse alum, uh, and I was, uh, I was in position at noon, ready to watch <clears throat> that football game and ready to check out the 2019 version of the Orange that was so exciting uh, to fans. I mean, last year was a ton of fun, but um, Maryland's offense could not be stopped, certainly by Syracuse. I think it was seven of the first nine Maryland possessions were touchdowns, so their offense looked fantastic. They blew the doors off of Syracuse in the first half. I mean, by the third quarter, the game was over. So that was uh, that was disheartening as a Syracuse alum and fan, but it was uh, it was very impressive uh, by Maryland. I mean, offensive Mike Loxley had it. I mean, they were they were tuned up and they were on fire. I think they scored 100 and, 120 plus points in the first two games of the year, Maryland. So yeah. that, that's 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 one of the big that's that's one of those big impressive things. I mean. Uh, LSU's performance against Texas on Saturday, not dissimilar in that you would have said before the year, like, okay, they're making major changes on offense. How's that going to work out? Uh And in both cases for Maryland and LSU, it's worked out very, very well. Well, we talked about Maryland being kind of a surprise. Another surprise, you called that Mizzou-Wyoming game in week one, a kind of disappointing loss there for Mizzou team that uh, thought to possibly challenge for the SEC East with Kelly Bryant, even despite uh, the bowl ban looming over their heads. But I mean, Mizzou, they had so many self-inflicted wounds with turnovers in that game, but kind of what else did you see from them besides those self-inflicted wounds that led to such a shocking loss? Uh, Wyoming has uh, a so this is in North Dakota State. Uh, he's, he's a Nebraska guy. This is year six at Wyoming. He's one of the, he's one of the terrific coaches and one of the terrific guys in college football, and they're, they use their tight ends a lot, and there's one uh, there's one scheme, I suppose, that is, I would basically describe as let's send uh, let's send the tight ends in motion pre snap, and then as soon as it's snap, we're just going to scramble the the tight ends. Of course, it's 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 more uh, it's more precise than this, but we're just going to scramble the tight ends away from uh, away from the. the middle of the field towards the hash marks and if the defense starts chasing those tight ends then the, the middle of uh, the middle of the field is going to be wide open to run and that's exactly what happens mm-hmm. uh, to the tune of like 200 yards on three different snaps is that Missouri kept chasing and leaving the middle of, leaving the middle of the field wide open and Wyoming took advantage and I think at halftime of that game, Wyoming had completed two passes and had 27 points. So that was, that was a, that was a bad look for a Missouri defense that was supposed to be very good. And, and that, that definitely took the, uh, uh, took the the sizzle out of, uh, out out of Missouri. Yeah, because, because that, that was, they were expected, even with the bull band that's in place, it may go away, but they, they were certainly expected to be, a contender in the SEC East, and they may still be a contender in the SEC East. But as far as a, a what was supposed to be or possibly a breakthrough season, and it opens when you're 
18 point favorite and and lose uh but give, give credit to wyoming because they 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 did not back down at all with the missouri tigers the the sec is now zero to all time in laramie wyoming absolutely wyoming came to play and now mizzou did bounce back we were there covering that uh, in columbia missouri beat west virginia uh, kind of sticking with the sec here their slogan is it just means more but other than kind of the top four heavy hitters in Bama, LSU, Georgia, Auburn, it's kind of been a rough go of it for the SEC. You've got Mizzou losing Texas A&M to Clemson this past week, South Carolina to North Carolina week one, and uh, Tennessee's two early losses in this young season. What do you make of these early woes in the SEC? Well, I think, the, I mean, the biggest surprise, I mean, it was obviously Tennessee. I mean, that was a, that was a, uh, that was a historically bad loss at home to Georgia State when uh, when when Tennessee fans had had room for optimism. Uh, I mean, it, it's it, it tells you that the it tells you that that the Alabama and uh, and Georgia reign at the top uh, right now. I mean, LSU. There's there's still a there's still a lot of. I'm not. I'm not handing uh, Alabama and Georgia the uh, SEC division titles yet. I mean, certainly LSU looked phenomenal. Yeah. You, would, you would also say that that's the biggest win of the early season is LSU at Texas, especially mm-hmm. with the way with the way that they with the way they did it and the way they looked and how good the new offense looked uh, on Saturday night. But it, it's you know this is everyone wants to say that it's an age of. Uh, Age of parity, and uh, anyone can beat anyone. And then you look at at what where Alabama is and elite, and uh, and man, maintaining elite in an era that supposedly is wide open. It, it makes it almost more impressive what they've done. And then uh, and then clearly now Clemson winning two of the last four national championships. It's like if this is supposed to be the era of parity where anybody can step up and. Uh, and and become a major contender, and yet we have two teams right now who are dominating the landscape of college football. One's in the ACC, and one's in the SEC. It's 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 even more impressive the elite level that that those programs, and I think Alabama in particular, has, has maintained. Well, where do you think uh, Tennessee goes from here? Just kind of getting into them, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, second season in Tennessee as a volunteer head coach, and. Where do you think they go from here? I mean, they've got these two early losses. They've got uh, Tennessee Chattanooga coming up. I mean, the season doesn't look like it's going to end up going well for Tennessee. Do you think they can possibly just start over again? And where where would they go? I know this is a once proud program, a rich history and tradition. Peyton Manning, Reggie White, even T. Martin to an extent. I mean, where does Tennessee go from here? Boy, it's it's they, they, you, you've had so many resets now at Tennessee. I, I mean, you, you it's 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 reset after reset after reset. And and each one of those it sets you sets you behind sets you. I mean it's 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 like uh, it's like third and long and fourth and long. I mean when, when you lose when you lose yardage because you're you when you when you make uh, changes like that. I mean you obviously you're st- you're you're starting totally over. Um, you're also starting you're also tapping financially wise over and over again into buying out contracts uh, and and that. That's well. Uh, I mean, that's that's a piece of the puzzle here. Is you 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 run out of you run out of money at some point to to just buy everyone out. When over and over again you're having to make coaching changes, recruiting wise, you get way 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 behind. So while obviously when you have 
uh, a major, major loss like that early in the season, the, the, the knee-jerk reaction is to fire the coach, and that's yeah. always going to be the case no matter what. Like, that's, that's always going to be the reaction uh, after a major loss. But it, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to figure out how you, how you put yourself into another hole. And then, mm. you know, and then now, I mean, it's, it's becoming... It's becoming a uh, a Greek tragedy in in <laughs> Knoxville now. With with uh, with, I mean, I, I had uh, Lane Kiffin this past weekend at Florida Atlantic, and I know Tennessee fans are already uh, booing just because I said that name. But it's <laughs> it, to to just to just look at the timeline of like, boy, it seems like it was a lifetime ago uh, that the Lane the Lane Kiffin era in Knoxville and uh, and 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 then the then to look at the balls and say, man, I mean, time after time, I mean, you know, and, and then most, most, uh, most prominently this past, most prominently this past, uh, this past coaching, uh, tenure was, was a, was, was more, more drama than anything. The, the last coaching change, more drama than anything. So pretty, pretty incredible. And it just, it seems like the, seems like no matter what, the, the things are, things get more dramatic by the year uh, with the Tennessee Volunteers. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, great coaches don't grow on trees. They've gone through, like you said, Lane Kiffin, Butch Jones, Derek Dooley, and now it's Jeremy Pruitt. It's hard to see them kind of resetting again. But, uh, I mean, I don't know if this season goes south on them. They're looking at one or two wins. I guess it could happen. But uh, what do you see kind of in the full landscape of college football right now? We had Tim Brando on a few weeks ago, a Fox Sports broadcaster, and he was talking about how it's. it looks like it's just Clemson, Alabama again, reset it, roll it back. But can Oklahoma, can Ohio State, we talked about LSU with Joe Burrow and how that offense has changed, can, can they make some noise and kind of get in this thing to kind of reset and not make it just another Alabama-Clemson national championship game? Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's if there's one thing we know about college football, I mean, now out, of, out, of, out of one side of my mouth I just said that uh, in an era of parity, you have two dominant teams that won the last four <laughs> national championships. Yes. Uh, and, and at the same time, uh, you – you never know what is what is going to happen, and and, and that is the, that's the fun part about it. Cause, I mean, here it is; it's week three. We're barely. It feels like we're barely into September, mm-hmm. and what what we say now about January could be could be totally totally um, washed out. And and uh, and and rem- you know, remember this conversation in November when uh, when there's you know major upsets and and you get some wacky teams playing in. in Conference championship games that no one anticipated. Absolutely. But um, that being said, I mean, cl- I mean, clearly, if you're if you're uh, if you're looking for your favorites, the favorites <laughs> are probably those three that you just mentioned. I, I mean, the, the the initial reaction from LSU was how was how fantastic they looked on Saturday night and explosive and really redefining the offense. And uh, and yes, certainly Oklahoma. Um, Big time contender out of the Big Twelve, and uh, you know the Pac twelve at this point is kind of a question mark. I mean, uh, that's that, that's that seems to be another theme of of this uh, era of college football is Pac twelve is a question mark. It just sort of looked like Washington was ready to be a power. They have a yeah. big uh, they have a big setback, and then you know we're, we're everyone's everyone's waiting on the the return of Troy, and that's 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 been uh, almost as as over. Over 
anticipated as anything else in college football is when is USC going to be back? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and then and then the the, the, the there's there's a lot of I don't I don't think any I don't think many people are waiting on UCLA to be a power right now. Uh, that's that's another that's another sad oh, situation. Yeah. Um, so so yes, there, there, you you have a clear you have a clear uh, era of dominance for uh, Alabama, Clemson, George, you know Georgia's your Georgia's your next best contender in the SEC East, LSU next best contender in the SEC West. Yeah. And. You have you have a lot of you have a lot of weekends. You have a lot of Saturdays where a lot of crazy things can happen. Absolutely, Carter. We cannot thank you enough for your time today. We look forward to listening to your call, the Texas Rice game this weekend. And once again, it was an honor. You're great. You're the best. We love listening to you. Can't thank you enough. Real pleasure, guys. Fun talking. Absolutely. Take care. There you have it from Carter Blackburn talking about a myriad of topics. And we really delved into things, uh, all the pertinent college football topics. Uh, we definitely were able to delve into there with uh, Mr. Blackburn, who's going to be calling the Texas and Rice game. He was impressed with Texas, more impressed with LSU. And boy, uh, you know, he, he seems to agree with us that he doesn't know what's going on at Tennessee. And to think that this could be starting over again for the Volunteers, wow, that could set them back even more. It really could. I mean, you look at it and yeah, it's easy to say, just fire this coach. I mean, that's kind of the easy social media thing to say, jump on there, fire the coach. It's over. He can never not get this team back, but you look at just how much Tennessee's just restart, restart, restart. And that just sets your program back. And uh, to do it uh, this quickly with Jeremy Pruitt, maybe that's uh, an overreach an overstep. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see, maybe he can get this thing back on track, but if they end the year with one and one or two wins, maybe they're just pressured and maybe it just kind of makes sense to, yes, restart again and press the restart button and find the new guy to lead them into the future. Well, another SEC program that may be pressing the restart button sooner rather than later is Arkansas and coach Chad Morris. And um, they, of course, suffered a double digit defeat uh, at the hands of Ole Miss, a team that uh, looked completely lost offensively in week one with a 15 to 10 loss to Memphis. Ole Miss gets the Razorbacks at home, and Ole Miss wins the game 31-17. Arkansas, just they don't have anything going on for them. You know, the quarterback situation, I think something to keep an eye on there. They bring over Ben Hicks from SMU, a player that Chad Morris is very familiar with. And then uh, they have Dick Starkle there, the transfer from Texas A&M. It looks like he maybe has more acumen, more accolades Mm -hmm. to be the quarterback there. And right now, they really can't get it figured out. They lose a game, and Noah, and I said this last week, if they don't beat Ole Miss, I don't think they're winning a conference game. So where are we here? I don't think they're going to win a conference game. They've lost Ole Miss. What other chance do they have? Uh, Mississippi State, um, you know, they'll, they'll play Missouri. I, I just don't see them winning a conference game here, and that's going to be two straight years of 0-4 for the Razorbacks if this plays out the way we think it is. And we're going to go ahead and bring in our guest at this time, Tyler Wilson, former All-SEC quarterback of the Arkansas Razorbacks, to help us talk about this. Tyler, how's everything going, man, in your world? How have you been, and how's everything going? It's, it's been going good. It's been going good. Appreciate you having me having me on, obviously. You got, uh, you got the first couple weeks of, of football season underway, and so uh, I don't hear from any of these guys until, uh, until football season, and then all of a sudden... Uh, you start digging in the archives to find a find an old archive. 
Arkansas quarterback to have on the show, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, not not just any old Arkansas quarterback. Certainly one of the one of the greats in program history. And uh, you know, you you know. 2011 was uh, such a great year. You know, as a junior, you guys went 11 and two. You're the you're the Cotton Bowl MVP. Tyler, things are off to an auspicious start here um, for the Razorbacks in, in 2019. A tough win over Portland State, then losing to Ole Miss at a conference game. A lot of people thought, hey, that's a good chance to get a conference win. Now that's kind of out the window. I, when you look at it, I mean, you're in Little Rock and you're around a lot of Arkansas fans uh, that you probably deal with every day. Just kind of what's the, the temperament down there uh, and, and kind of the, the patience or lack thereof with uh, the current state of the Razorbacks right now? You know, it's, it's tough to say. I think, you know, early on, uh, the expectations for Chad Morris were, were, were pretty high uh, when he took the job. Uh, you know, you had Brett Bielema that, that had a four-win uh, year two years ago. Uh, and really, I think everybody felt like there was nowhere but up to go. Uh, in Chad Morris's first season at Arkansas, there was a, a you know, it was a, the worst season in program history, and Arkansas only won two ball games uh, just a year ago. And then, uh, obviously, everybody felt that there was nowhere else but up to go from there and and uh, had had ambitious, I think, uh, feelings with our recruiting class and, the, and uh, you know, this past class and that we would have a lot of young players, but young players that, that, that could, could uh, produce uh, and in time. And so I think the expectations were, where Chad Morris was going to get some guys in the door that he could utilize and his offense would, would kind of stimulate things. And uh, you had the first game against Portland State where Arkansas squeaked by to get a win against Portland State. And, and quite honestly, after that performance, I think the state was kind of scratching their head. And then you have uh, a really tough loss, you know, last week away uh, with uh, – or this week away with uh, – with the lost old Miss, so you know you're going into um, you're you're going into week three one and one, and uh, I think everybody's really really interested to see where the rest of this year goes with Chad Morris, and it, it's it's probably tough for targets to have a lot of optimism right now. Yeah, it, it really is, and I mean, you think back to to your career, you know, the, everything you accomplished, twenty nine school records, and uh, all SEC Cotton Bowl MVP um, there as a as a junior, eleven and two season. I mean, you know as well as anyone just how fervent, how passionate these Razorback fans are. Just kind of take us back uh, back to your time, and it's you know, it's it's funny because you can kind of pinpoint that two thousand eleven season, and, and from your senior year on, it has been very hit and miss, but. Let's talk about this fan base, how passionate it is, and kind of how you felt going through school there at a, at a time when things were on the uprising. You know, you had uh, Bobby Petrino, things were really rolling, Ryan Mallett before you, and uh, kind of how it's it's fallen off from from then from uh, you know back then to right now. It's 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 a tough state of affairs. Yeah, interesting because uh, you know I'm here in Little Rock, and uh, yesterday at the Little Rock Touchdown Club, Bobby Petrino was the guest speaker. And uh, it's first time back in Arkansas since uh, since the scandal and the firing, and and he really hadn't had a chance to address the state. And so yesterday, uh, at the Little Rock Touchdown Club, he came back and spoke. And so, you know, in the in kind of the midst of what we had just discussed in the last uh, conversation about Arkansas, <laughs> kind of at the worst end of, of program history with two wins the year before, and it looks looks bleak even into this year. Uh, Arkansas.
Arkansas fans reminisced a little bit yesterday, and, and so you go back over those 2010 and 2011 years where Arkansas was 22-5 and five, uh, during that two-year span, you really think about Petrino's impact on the program and the direction in which he had it, uh, which in 2011, you, you mentioned obviously 11-2 and two record, and at one point we were number three in the country. And uh, and finished in the AP top five, um, and then the scandal happened. So, you know, uh, and then now you're <laughs> you're fighting to get back on the planet of college football. So, you know, I mean, those times were so much fun, and and not not to not to harp on where we're at now, but to kind of uh, to see potentially where Arkansas can be, and, and historically a. Absolutely. And how big a part of it is that, uh, you know, you, you talk about Arkansas's beginnings in the, in the Southwest Conference and some of those great rivalries. But when you go to the SEC West and, you know, you, you're, you're up against the LSUs and Alabamas, for one, kind of how did that make you a better player? Because we've seen a lot of Arkansas quarterbacks in the last few years, uh, you know, that are beat up and injured by the year's end. And, you know, going up against those kind of defenses, that's a, t- that's a tough road to hoe. And for Arkansas just to ascend to the top of that, a division is just yeah. hard enough itself. It's it's a hard it's a you know it's a hard road to go down, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and I, I go back to that 2011 year where we were 11 and two, and I told you um, we had you, know, you go 11 wins. That's pretty good. You have two losses. Well, who are those two losses to? Alabama and LSU. And you mentioned Tyler that you were number three in the country. Well, who were you number three behind? And it was Alabama and LSU. So. You know, it's like you can be the third best team in the country behind two other teams that are in your league. Yeah. You know, and and, and that's you know that's the challenge that you have uh, in this conference. And you know, I'm sure you have a lot of Missouri fans, and you follow Missouri closely. Uh, and, and Missouri has put in a beatdown on Arkansas, and, and they've got our number as of late. But uh, but you know, the, the east side of the conference uh, and with the resurgence of, of Georgia, uh, you know, the east side has, has not historically been, you know, what uh, over the last, I guess, the Saban era historically, it's been, uh, you, know, you know, it's been a little lighter conference. So, uh, no, no question that, that the SEC West, especially with those two teams, has, has been, uh, you know, a, a I guess you could use it as a, as a value to prepare, you know, these players for, for the next level because, you know, those those two programs, no question, are the high-water mark. 
They definitely are. And Tyler, when you go back uh, to 2013, uh, your quarterback draft class, it's one of the most analyzed and talked about draft classes in NFL history uh, because you had guys like Matt Barkley and Geno Smith before the season, surefire first round picks. There was even rumors of you being the first overall pick in 2013. Um, EJ Manuel winds up being the first quarterback taken. You got guys like Mike Glennon and uh, and players like that that go wind up and then you wind up in the fourth round. Just kind of take us back to that time You know, as a senior. Obviously, the season didn't go as well as uh, Arkansas had planned starting off. I think you guys were in the top 10. You still had a, a tremendous uh, season that year, but you guys didn't win a lot of games. And then going into the NFL, selected by the Raiders in the fourth round. Just kind of take us through through that whole process back to back to 2013, man. You're, you're, we're, we're going all in circles, but it's a whirlwind. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you go back to the, obviously, Petrino was fired. Uh, and I elected to come back to school my senior year, and Katrina obviously was let go. And, um, you know, we had an interim coach that, that year, that senior season with John L. Smith. Um, and, you know, it was it was a totally different atmosphere that year. And, and you're right, preseason, we were, I think we were number five in the country. And, uh, you know, it just shows you the, the, the consistency and continuity that the coaching staff can bring to a team. I really thought we had a very talented year. And, and you're right, there were a lot of good players in that draft class, con- considering, you know, Geno Smith, Matt Barkley, myself. Um, uh, you know, you mentioned Mike Glennon um, and, uh, you know, E.J. Manuel. And, you know, all those guys are quality guys, and I think guys that, that uh, in most most years would have been uh, first first two round draft picks. You know, there's several guys in that class that you know you get them on a the field and throw the ball around. Um, they're as good as any first round you know draft pick that I've that I that I've seen or watched. Um, you know, and and interesting that that you know a season. You know, Matt Barkley's senior year with Link it's sending a lot of the controversy there. They didn't win as many ball games as they'd like. Um, you know, so a lot of this uh, actually kind of fell in the draft. And then I think part of that's also due to the fact that the year before, um, you know, when I was debating leaving early uh, for the draft, it was uh, RG3 and it was Andrew Luck. And it was, um, I think you had Ryan Tannehill in there and then you had Brandon Whedon and Russell Wilson. Those were the five quarterbacks um, and I think there was maybe one more in there that got drafted, but they drafted five quarterbacks the year before in the first round. So it's like, okay, uh, let's fast forward a year. What teams need a quarterback, right? And so, you know, a lot of those, those uh, there was, I think that might have been a record-breaking year that year before of taking that many quarterbacks in the first round. And so, you know, it's, it's a very cyclical process, and I think people kind of forget that. Uh, year in year out, there'll always be a couple teams that need them, but maybe not five. And uh, so, yeah, that was uh, probably a timing thing there, as much as anything, as as in in, in place of talent with those players. Well, Tyler, of course, we uh, you know kind of spoke before the interview began just about uh, you know not having a, a great opportunity. You get drafted by the Oakland Raiders, and kind of. How that transition into the next part of your life, because your NFL career obviously was was short, and it you know it, it didn't probably last as long as you would like. It, it's all part of the business, but kind of talk about how that transitioned you into the next part of your life and the business you're in now and commercial realty down in Little Rock, and kind of how you came upon that, and kind of how people can get a hold of you that are maybe down in that area. Yeah, you know, I I think I I, I handle. Uh, 
that question most of the time, and and uh, I don't know how to respond because I think some people will see you at a gas station and they'll say, "Well, Tyler, uh, what happened?" And the NFL, I mean, if you were a surefire guy, and, and uh, you know, a lot of it, it's so interesting. I, I even told you in, in in brevity before the interview that that I probably didn't get twenty snaps of uh, preseason action, and you know, it's you're like my goodness, you know, the opportunity was, was so slim then. Uh, but, you know, Raiders, obviously, were going through a, uh, a transition period with Dennis Allen and, and Reggie McKenzie at that time, which was the uh, general manager. And, and uh, you know, we had major salary cap issues, and uh, we were slim, really, on all, all facets. I don't think that, you know, I look at that team in general, uh we needed a playmaker quarterback that, 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 you know, could move around and run that would solve some of the inefficiencies that we had at the offensive line position at that time and at the wide receiver position, you know, it wasn't quite like the system I played in at Arkansas. We, you know, so at that time we had Terrell Pryor. So Terrell was an obvious fit to be the quarterback that, that could make some plays with his feet that I had no business making. Uh, you know, so that system really just didn't fit me. So just a, a tough system for me to, to get drafted in. Uh, then to Tennessee, you know, you look at Tennessee, I was brought in Mike Munchak and Dow Loggins, who was the offensive coordinator, and Dave Ragone, who actually played under Bobby Petrino. So I felt like that system was the best for me uh, when I was when I was uh, swapped over to Tennessee. And and uh, I was there the back half of uh, the 2013 season with three games, and, and Ryan Fitzpatrick was actually our starter, and I was behind Ryan. And then uh, we missed the playoffs by one game, and uh, and Bud Adams, who's the owner, passes away. His wife, uh, or his, his daughter, inherits the team along with the son-in-law, and they make a head coaching change after we missed the playoffs. So, you know, the, the staff that brought me in is now let go. <laughs> And, you know, so, I mean, you could, we go on stories like this yeah. for days, but that's how the NFL is, it's just always turning over. And as a result, you know, you just kind of get caught up in a uh, wash and, and you never really get to prove yourself and, and, uh, and never get in a system where I really felt like, you know, I had the ability uh, to digest and learn and mature and grow as a quarterback. And, uh, you know, so, so you transition. I felt like I said I could continue to play this game of world win, and and, uh, and you know, not. I think I was in three or four different cities in about a year and a half span, and I just said, "Man, I've got I've got my laundry all over the place," <laughs> and uh, it might not be best for me to settle back down and, and uh, kind of get some some steadiness to my life and. And so I joined a real estate development firm here in Little Rock, and it has been uh, an amazing uh, opportunity for me to learn and grow in, in this business. And and we've kind of hit hit the uh, the right time in terms of economically. Things are really good right now, so things are trading, moving, and and uh, you know we we develop a lot of product in, in really three states. And so uh, I travel a lot, and, and occasionally get to watch a little, little college football and, and get to talk like talk to guys like you. Well, that's wonderful, and hopefully we'll be down there uh, for you know Missouri and Arkansas have been moved down to Little Rock for uh, for the foreseeable future. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll catch you down there catching uh, some Thanksgiving weekend Razorbacks football for taking on the Missouri Tigers here coming up in November. Man, that now that that'd be a real treat. 
Well, it was uh, 105 degrees here yesterday, so <laughs> at, at that time, it, it surely will be a little cooler. So, I, uh, I've seen it all. And it, we've run the gambit. I've been to every Missouri-Arkansas game since the, the battle line, quote-unquote, began. We've had everything from freezing rain in Fayetteville to uh, 75 degrees uh, in, in, in Fayetteville. So, you know, we, we really don't know what to expect. That's what it's all about, college football that time of year, man. But before we let you go, Tyler... I guess I've just got to ask the question, um, and you just got to tell me whatever comes to mind. And it's certainly not that I'm advocating for this whatsoever. I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate here because I believe Chad Morris is a is a good, solid coach and a very good human being, and he's building something there. But if the pieces were able to fit, would could Bobby Petrino come back to Arkansas? <laughs> Did that happen? He went back to Louisville. <laughs> I knew you were gonna. I knew you were not gonna throw me lollipops all, all day. I just one. Just one. So, <laughs> you know, and and does this stream in Arkansas? Does this does this does this podcast? Yeah. I guess you can, you can stream it anywhere. Yeah. I gotta yeah. be careful what I say here, but I I will say this. Uh, Monday, which was uh, which was yesterday, you had a packed house sold out for Bobby Petrino being back in town. Um. I don't know. I, you know, I think the demand is is more than five games a year in terms of wins at Arkansas, and uh, hopefully Chad Morris can get that done this year. I think that was kind of the expectation is that uh, you know he he would win five, and if he didn't, then you know there might be some pressure. So I, I'm not going to give you an answer <laughs> until I know I know how that turns out. So yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, we had a lot of fun with, with Coach Petrino, and he's jobless right now. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what his uh, lifespan and, and being unemployed will be. Uh, I would imagine there'll be a program out here in the, next, uh, in the next six to eight months that really pushes a hard press that they're not winning football games. And I can definitely see him coaching football in 2020. Tyler, we can't thank you enough for joining us, man, taking time out of your schedule. We'll definitely be in touch. And uh, can't thank you enough for taking us to, uh, you know, kind of down memory lane and sharing with us what you're doing today. And best of luck with that. It's uh, tremendous uh, that you're out there and then probably meeting a lot of a lot of wonderful people, doing a lot of good uh, for the community down there in Little Rock. So thank you so much for doing this with us, and we'll catch up soon, my man. Sounds good. You guys have a good one. Thanks a lot. There you have it. If you read between the tea leaves, Noah, I think Tyler would love to see a return by Bobby Petrino to Arkansas. As crazy as it sounds, he wasn't willing to give us a whole lot there, but it sounds like he might know something that we don't. I'm not saying he does, but Tyler was, you know, he, he kind of dodged around it, but he likes Petrino. He played, he was an All-American, uh, excuse me, an All-SEC quarterback uh, playing under Bobby Petrino. That's the last year Arkansas was good, 11-2, and two, finished ranked, uh, I think, fifth in the country in 2011, but boy, it seems like a long time since that's happened. Yeah. I mean, if anyone would have the inside track on uh, some of that information, the goings on with Bobby Petrino, whether he'd be interested in coming back where, whether the university would be interested in uh, revisiting that uh, Tyler Wilson would be the one to know, but Arkansas, like you said, I just don't think they find another conference win. I mean, maybe they switch to Nick Starkle and that sparks the offense and, and they get something going and things change, but I just don't see it. I, I, I think Chad Morris might be gone. You're looking at these programs, these coaches that have been here for two years now. It's at the end of the year, they'll be there for a full two years now. Are we really starting over with Chad Morris and 
uh, Jeremy Pruitt over there at Tennessee. Are we really talking about this? Can these programs afford to press the restart button this many times after only just two years? Maybe they can because the coaches are just falling flat on their face. Well, let's look at what we have coming up this week because as good as week two was, I think week three is going to take a step back a little bit as far yeah. as um, excitement and as far as really pertinent games that are going to be in the limelight. Um, one that I'm keeping a keen eye on is going to be Alabama-South Carolina. Now, nobody's really expecting South Carolina to do much in this game, but they did hang 75 points a week ago, and their freshman quarterback, Ryan Holinsky, was heralded coming out of high school and now, with no Jake Bentley for the rest of the year, this is Ryan Holinsky's show and uh, in front of a South Carolina crowd, which, by the way, we know from last year attending a game at uh, South Carolina at Williams-Brice Stadium, how crazy it is. They're one of the loudest environments in the SEC, completely underrated. Alabama's going in uh, following just another ho-hum performance um, against New Mexico State. Is this a game to keep an eye on, or is, is this just me trying to find something to, to watch on Saturday here as I'll be coming home from Las Vegas, hopefully maybe dropping a few bets uh, at the window at, at Bally's? Uh, I think this is you desperately searching for a game that will stay close uh, within the SEC and uh, uh, pique your interest in maybe a knockoff situation against Alabama or just a team uh, keeping it close there is we want to keep track of Alabama. We want to watch these games. They don't play a lot of competitive games, so... But with Jake Bentley out with the broken foot uh, for the rest of the year, uh, Ryan Holinsky out there, I just think Nick Saban's going to throw too much at him. His head's going to be spinning. Uh, I don't think this is a game where you can look at him and uh, he's going to have a lot of success out there against a Nick Saban-led defense. And, and Tua in that offense is going to be too much. Jerry Judy uh, against that secondary is going to be just too much, uh, too much firepower there for Alabama against South Carolina. So I think that's wishful thinking on your part. But another game, I think, has a shot at staying close just because I don't like what uh, uh, the lead team, the Florida, number nine Florida at Kentucky, I don't think Florida has the firepower to really jump out to this huge lead. I mean, we've talked about it before. Dan Mullen, Felipe Franks, we're not huge believers in them. Uh, the bad thing for Kentucky is they lost their starting quarterback. Also, Terry Wilson Jr. Uh, injured his uh, uh, patellar tendon. He tore that. And now they have Sawyer Smith out there at quarterback. So that could uh, sway things into a big win for Florida. But I'm just not excited about this Florida team. I'm not really believing in them at that number nine spot. I don't think they're the ninth best team in the country. So uh, that's an area for me to watch. Can Kentucky stay competitive with Sawyer Smith? And can they knock off a Florida team that we aren't impressed with? Well, you know what? I can't really get a handle on Kentucky throughout the first couple games here yet. But Kentucky, if you recall, went into the uh, swamp last year and beat the Florida Gators for the first time in uh, like 30 years. So now with Florida coming back to Kroger Field, coming back to Kentucky, the Wildcats are 2-0. We saw you know, Florida in week zero <laughs> against Miami. And what has happened since then? Well, Miami just lost once again to what we thought was a rebuilding North Carolina team under Matt Brown. All of a sudden, Matt Brown might be the biggest winner through the first two weeks of the college football season. Absolutely. Off, um, Cross-state rival South Carolina. And then, um, you know, conference opponent, Miami. Miami's 0-2. Uh, we don't really know much about uh, about Florida yet. And I think that this is going to tell a little bit of the tale. And right now, Florida needs something. They need to get some momentum going. They needed this conference win. They beat up on Kentucky for the better part of a half a century 
But I, something about this tells me Kentucky is going to be up to the task, especially at home. I know they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback, but they've had to replace talent all over the field. Benny Snell, Josh oh, yeah. Allen. And I think that Mark Stoops has built a culture there and uh, had a good enough recruiting classes that they can withstand this. And let me just be honest, Terry Wilson really struggled at times throwing the football for the Wildcats, especially last year. Noah, we sat inside Kroger Field. It was really cold that night, by the way. Yes. And watched Kentucky struggle with Vanderbilt. They only won that game 14-7. to So with all that being said, I see this as an opportunity, and it's going to tell us more about Florida than it does anything. But I think Kentucky gets this win and uh, really send things kind of into a topsy-turvy uh, situation in the SEC East with Georgia, kind of the Kings, and everybody else just might as well bow down and maybe give them the crown now. I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, I mean you're looking season. at this, and you've got Kentucky, if they can pull off that upset and put Florida where they belong and uh, the kind of the – uh, high teens there. That's kind of where they belong. But uh, I know we don't talk a lot about the Pac-12, but uh, this Chip Kelly experiment with UCLA, obviously he's sitting there on the sidelines not coaching because all he can think about is the ginormous weight on his shoulders and regret in his mind that he should have never left Oregon. It didn't work out with the Philadelphia Eagles. It's not working out with UCLA. And uh, that's another coach that you're looking at like UCLA kind of has, they, they were on a good track there with Jim Mora and Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen leaves, Jim Mora leaves, and now we've got Chip Kelly and they are falling on their faces early in the season, just like Tennessee. I know we focus on the SEC, but to me, they're kind of mirrored programs right now. They just can't, neither one can figure it out. That's a good point. I like to, uh, you know, find comparisons to programs and UCLA. You know, are, are are they a traditionally? Are they are they a you know an Alabama, Notre Dame? Not quite, but they've had great years. They have a lineage there. I mean, I, so what Chip Kelly? What's happened there is almost unbelievable. Losing week one to Cincinnati, I know Cincinnati's decent. Losing week two to San Diego State, I know San Diego State's decent. But that can't happen, just like we talked about with Tennessee. Now, the bad news is they're about to go to zero three because they're about to host the Oklahoma Sooners. Yes, on Saturday, and Oklahoma looks phenomenal. I'm about to you know, say something that it might seem blasphemous. I think Lincoln Riley is maybe the best quarterback guru in football, aside from Andy Reid. I mean, and I mean, in all of yeah. football, Lincoln Riley, what he's done, uh, molding two straight Heisman winners, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and now bringing on Jalen Hurts, who was what, I mean, we throw this term around, but a game manager at Alabama that lost a job, got it back, had heroics in the SEC championship game last year, and now he transfers to Oklahoma, and he looks phenomenal. Six total touchdowns in week one, and and they just kept it rolling, of course, last week against a very subpar opponent, uh, and obviously there's not much you could take out from that uh, at all, but now they're going to absolutely destroy UCLA and Oklahoma, Looks to be on a collision course with Texas. That's going to be interesting. Jalen Hurts versus Sam Ellinger. I love both of those quarterbacks, and that's, to me, those two teams and about anyone else. But before we say, before we bid adieu here on the Saturday Supremacy podcast, the last thing we're going to close with, Noah, I've got to bring it up because it's now happened two years in a row, and I know a lot of people were feeling frosty heading into this college football season. In fact, all the you know writers from the Associated Press and uh, seemed to anoint Nebraska, including our friend Tim Brando from Fox Sports. He had Nebraska in their top 10 as uh, soon as last week. Nebraska loses to Colorado again in very similar fashion. They allow for another comeback. Colorado comes back. They're a decent team. 
But Nebraska could not have this happen. This fan base is all on board with Scott Frost. And all of a sudden you look at him and he's five and nine as the coach of the Huskers. I don't know, but I, you know, this is a bandwagon. I'm getting ready to hop off. Actually, not true because I already hopped off it. I was never on it to begin with. I still think there's a lot more that has to be done to build this Nebraska program than just bringing in a Scott Frost from UCF, press a button and everything's better. Nebraska still has recruiting challenges. They're not the program they were, just like Tennessee. They're trying to find their footing and get back on the right track. And right now, they ain't on it. Absolutely. You look at what Scott Frost did there in UCF, Central Florida, and just how he was able to recruit, get transfers there, kind of guys, second chance guys there at Central Florida. And what he did there, it was so impressive. And you thought, and I'm sure a lot of the media pundits who projected them and uh, had them ranked and projected great things for them this season, thought just, oh, well, Scott Frost will be able to snap his fingers and work the same magic here at Nebraska, and it just has not happened. It has not translated. It has not made the uh, trip from Central Florida to Nebraska. It's just a disconnect, these two programs, the success he had at Central Florida and what's going on at Nebraska. It is a mess up there, losing that game to Colorado, blowing the lead. I mean... You're looking at this and you're wondering, yeah, they have uh, recruiting challenges like you mentioned, but is Scott Frost really the great coach we thought he was? He's having to go up against these other Big Ten teams and uh, maybe he's better off at a place like a Central Florida and just doesn't have the chops uh, to hang with a Power Five conference. Is that the case? It looks like it could be. This all happened really fast. He was uh, an offensive coordinator at Oregon. All of a sudden he's at UCF. And then with, with a snap of the fingers, he's got a power five job at, you know, at a top job, a top 10 job, I would say Nebraska still is. Uh, that might be giving him too much credit, honestly, at this point, but there, you're still going to have, you know, 90,000 people in the stands for every game. There's nothing else to do in, in the state of Nebraska. It's a cult up there. The fans demand it. The fans feel like they should still, just like Tennessee should still be at the top of the mountaintop, but you know what? No one's immune in this college football landscape to a regression. Nebraska hasn't really been relevant, just like Tennessee, since around 2001. That's the last time they played for a national championship. You know what? Nebraska moves on to the Big Ten, and they kind of moved out there to Siberia. They're in the Big Ten West, which features, you know, you know, you got you know, like Minnesota out there. Uh, you got Iowa out there. Um, you know, they're trying to compete and they're trying to recruit in that area, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of recruiting grounds up in that area, up in the Michigan of the world. They've gone into California to get talent too. Nebraska always has, but right now, thumbs down. Uh, I think that was a big loss for Nebraska. And I think it definitely changes their expectations going forward. But we appreciate you guys listening to us here on the Saturday Supremacy Podcast. Our website, GASNsports.com. You can catch us on Twitter at GASNsports. Can't thank our guests enough, Carter Blackburn and Tyler Wilson. That's what you're going to get on this show. No, that's what we do. Um, we bring on the guests. We try to, you know, bring on others that can really heighten our points and can bring back counterpoints. That's what we do here on the Center of Supremacy podcast. Thanks so much to them. Guys, uh, Saturday Supremacy is also uh, a film. It's in development. And you can go to our website, SaturdaySupremacy.com, for more information on the documentary side of things. First a documentary, now it's a podcast. We appreciate you hitting that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you have a smartphone, you have this show. Guys, thanks so much. Uh, please hit us up at our website, GASNsports.com, for more articles, interviews, and podcasts.